Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking here on Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. We're uh, about 36 hours or so from uh, some news that really rocked the country, uh, and especially, of course, in New York, uh, New York State, New York City, and, and well beyond. On Monday night, Politico published a leaked draft Supreme Court majority opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, the landmark abortion protection case, through a ruling in a case related to a Mississippi abortion law that is currently before the court. Again, important to stress, this was a draft opinion. A final decision in the case is expected in June. The draft majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito was confirmed as authentic by Chief Justice John Roberts, who has ordered an investigation into the leak. But that leak and the content of the draft ruling has set off a firestorm among pro-choice Americans, including officials, advocates, and others in New York who believe in a woman's right to choose whether to access abortion care and make other decisions about reproductive Healthcare. New York is among the states that has abortion rights protections in place. If Roe is overturned by the Supreme Court, the state's 2019 law, the Reproductive Health Act, that codified Roe abortion protections into law would still be valid in New York. There are other recently uh, passed measures at the New York state and city levels related to abortion care, contraception coverage, and more, and a number of other proposals that have not been passed that are on the table to further cement some of the existing law, like a state constitutional amendment, or to expand certain provisions of care and protections. And of course, there's a lot of discussion about what would happen in New York and other states that have abortion protections in place if Roe is overturned in terms of uh, offering services and care to people seeking it in New York who live in other states that do not have those protections and may in fact have uh, very significant bans on reproductive health care. So to discuss uh, much of this and more, I'm pleased to be joined today by Assemblymember Karina Reyes, a registered nurse and a legislator representing the Bronx's 87th district in the state assembly. Uh, Assemblymember Reyes joined the state assembly in late 2018, and so was there into 2019 when the New York State Legislature, working with then Governor Cuomo, passed not only the Reproductive Health Act, but a whole bunch of other measures that Democrats have been looking to see passed, um, but that were stalled because Republicans controlled the state Senate until that changed through the 2018 election cycle. And in 2019, Democrats controlled both houses of the uh, legislature and the governor's office. And the Reproductive Health Act was among the first major actions that were taken by that new uh, full Democratic control of state government. And Assemblymember Reyes was there and is still there uh, and joins us now. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk today. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me. Welcome. So uh, there, there's a lot to to unpack here, but in, in terms of your initial reactions to this draft opinion that was leaked uh, and published by Politico on, on Monday night, what what was your initial reaction when you when you read about this or heard about this? Um, how, what, what went through your your mind initially? I think we were all kind of just in disbelief that that this was happening. Um, we were stunned that that the Supreme Court would would move to 
um, potentially overturn Roe um, and what that would mean, not just for New Yorkers, but countless women across the country. Um, and in New York, like you mentioned, we have taken steps to, to protect the women's right to choose. The Reproductive Health Act was one of the first um, bills that I saw debated on the floor as a member of the assembly. Um, and it was so inspiring to see so many women that had been in the assembly longer than I, who had been fighting for this very cause for most of their lives, finally see it codified um, in, in, in our state. And you know, the debate was very interesting because we would hear the Republicans say that there was no point to the Reproductive Health Act, that, you know, Roe was settled case law, that, you know, this was an overreach of an ambitious, you know, Democratic majority, and that we were in many aspects just wasting our time. Um, and here we are today. Uh, and thank goodness that that we passed the Reproductive Health Act in 2019, because we are on, on the precipice of really uh, taking a very, very regressive steps um, in terms of, of women's rights. Um, and we're happy we were able to codify that in New York. Well, I, I don't know if you ever are able, you know, I don't know if you talk about sort of switching hats or lenses, but as a nurse and a legislator, let me ask you sort of more looking through your nurse uh, lens. And, and again, I don't know if you really separate them or can separate them. I'm, I'm sure in many ways uh, it's very difficult to, but um, uh, as a nurse, how, how do you think about um, abortion rights and reproductive health care and um, your familiarity with um, situations in, in which women seek such care? Yeah. Um, well, first, I believe that abortion care is a very personal and private decision that women and pregnant persons make um, with themselves and their and their health care providers. Right. And, and that government shouldn't play a role in that. Um, but also, I, you know, I practice as an oncology nurse. Um, and sometimes people don't think of oncology as something that inflicts younger people. But I have actually cared for women who may be pregnant or have been pregnant and have been, you know, newly diagnosed with breast cancer, ovarian cancer, you name it, whatever type of malignancy. And then they have to make a decision on whether they continue with the pregnancy or decide to terminate their pregnancy so that they can seek um, uh, treatment for for their condition. Um, and those are real life healthcare decisions that women have to make. Um, and that has, has further solidified my belief way before I was a nurse that um, abortion care is absolutely healthcare. Um, and, you know, as a woman and, and I, I've, I've, I've had procedures myself and, you know, we talk about over 56% of women who seek abortions are already mothers. You know, I, I had an abortion when I was pregnant and I had a two-year-old and I could not see myself caring for another child that wasn't in the financial position or the emotional position to care for another child. And that was a decision that my partner and myself took at that moment where we just couldn't do it. Um, and thank goodness, again, that that was an option that was available to me. But the reality is that if if we were to no longer be able to um, 
provide women the option to have safe and legal abortions, it becomes really a socioeconomic issue as well. Because even when abortions were were illegal, um, let's be clear, women who were affluent and wealthy were able to access safe abortions. The women who couldn't afford to pay um, were the ones that had to seek um, some kind of procedure in through more nefarious means that, of course, put their life at risk. Um, and this is really, you know, when the Supreme Court says that this no longer, that abortion should not uh, be legal, then we're saying that we don't care about poverty and we don't care about children living in poverty and families being impoverished and we don't care about the domino effects it has on the lives of women and families and people um, when we don't give them this option. Part of the part of the legalese of of Supreme Court rulings, obviously, also in part uh, relates to what the federal government has, um, you know, jurisdiction over and what should be uh, state jurisdiction and local jurisdiction. And that seems to be part of the uh, argument in the draft opinion. Obviously, um, again, this is this is far from a final opinion, but but we really don't know about all of the process and the internal deliberations of the Supreme Court at this time. Um, what is um, you know from your point of view, what what are you what is your thought on? Um, okay, this is overturned at the federal level, but it goes back to the states and, uh, you know, voters in states elect their leadership and their leadership on this issue. And many others are supposed to govern, you know, by the will of the people in, of their states. Yeah. And that was what um, the Planned Parenthood v. Casey case um, affirmed, that this was actually um at the hands of of states, and that's why again we moved forward to to codify it in in New York State law through the Reproductive Health Act. But then it also makes us think about how we can further um, protect the rights of women in our state. Um, and part of that is really having uh, putting resources behind abortion services and abortion access. Um, under the previous uh, presidential administration, we did see um, the rollback of some uh, Title X funding. Um, and I think it's important that the state really step in with resources. Um, I have a bill, for example, that would create an abortion access fund um, where people after they file their taxes can can make a contribution to abortion access funds. And that would help us um, be able to provide some resources for uh, Planned Parenthood and clinics that provide abortion services throughout the state. I think that um, we should have a more permanent um, funding stream as well from the state. And I know I have colleagues who have introduced those that that type of legislation. Um, the Equality Amendment is very important in, in in making sure that we're affirming the rights of all individuals in our state to seek and access um, reproductive care. And um, you know, we also have to talk about sex ed for younger children and and making sure that we prevent pregnancies. And the only way that we can do that is empowering young people with the right scientifically based information uh, so they can make smart choices. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to come back to a couple of things you said, but I should say in terms of this discussion about um, 
fe, you know, federal uh, settled law, case law through the Supreme Court in Roe, and then overturning that and going back to the states that there are roughly half the states in the country either have pre-Roe laws that would come back into effect or have passed so-called trigger laws that would um, either be full or, or nearly full bans on abortion in those states that have been passed awaiting the overturning of uh, Roe in in um, in a number of states. I, I believe there's about a dozen or so of those that have passed these measures that have certain triggers in the language that if there is uh, such a decision at the Supreme Court level that they would go into effect either immediately or after 30 days or after some sort of action by uh, a state official or so forth. Um, so this is this is all very real in terms of the the fallout in individual states. And um, and there's a lot of reporting out there folks can find in terms of which states have which uh, laws in place. Um, and obviously, as we're talking here in New York, the Reproductive Health Act would be uh, sort of the fallback where very little would change in terms of uh, abortion rights in New York uh, were Roe to be overturned at the Supreme Court. Uh, Assembly members, is there anything else? Um, is, is, is you know what should, what should people know about the current state of abortion care, abortion protections in New York law? Um, the Reproductive Health Act codified Roe v. Wade into into state laws. We've been discussing that was in very early in 2019, uh, pretty early in your tenure tenure in the state assembly. And as I said in the introduction, when Democrats had taken full control of state government for the first time in quite a few years, um, any message to to New Yorkers in terms of what is in place in New York and what people should know? Yeah, I think people should know that abortions are still absolutely legal and safe. Um, Roe has yet to be overturned. And like you mentioned, there are actually about 13 states who have triggers that in the event that Roe is overturned, it would ban abortions effectively in those states. But in the state of New York, abortions will continue to be legal. Um, and, and we saw this when uh, Texas implemented some of their abortion restrictions. There was actually an influx of women and pregnant people from Texas that were seeking abortion care in New York and in states like California. Um, and, and we can anticipate that in the event that Roe is overturned, um, uh, we will also see an influx of out-of-state folks seeking abortion care in New York. Um, and abortion will continue to be um, legal in the state of New York. Um, and we I know, think... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please go, go ahead. ahead. No, I, I was I was just going to ask you, if, do we have a sense of, of how many abortion procedures are sought in New York state each year? Is there a rough estimate of that of that number? And I don't know if you, you know, have it on hand. I, or, I don't. I don't have a rough estimate yeah. on on how how many abortions are. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's some again, there's some reporting out there that's put together national numbers and national context and broken it down by state. It's not something um, that I've looked at uh, in the last couple of days or, or, or previously, but I'll, I'll take a look. Um, as you said, uh, but but that also, you know, the, the frequency and who seeks abortion care, you know, these are things that are often misunderstood or uh, un- unknown by people, in- including, as you said, um, very often people seeking abortion care are already parents, uh, as you discussed, and as you discussed your own experience. Um, the the idea of New York becoming something of a safe haven for people coming from out of state seeking abortion care, um, 
how are you thinking about that? Are there things that you think New York should do? Um, I know you already mentioned this idea that that is out there about um, a, an abortion access fund at the state level. New York City has one of those uh, that was just um, created in the last couple of years um, to to help uh, provide funding for those who don't have the means. Um, what how are you thinking about making New York uh, a safe haven? Um, I, I think, look, one of the things that um, the Reproductive Health Act did uh, was also kind of expand uh, the language of the providers who can perform abortion procedures or prescribe um, medications to terminate pregnancies um, and you know, expand the scope of practice. So it's not just a physician, you know, nurse practitioners who are qualified and trained um, can prescribe and perform certain procedures, um, physician assistants, expanding the amount, of the, the number of professionals who can do provide the service is important. And that's something that the Reproductive Health Act did. Um, so that, I think that's a first, a, a good first step, because the reality is that in New York City, it is much easier to access services than it is in rural parts of our state. Um, in many aspects, there are rural, rural corners of our state where it it resembles, you know, some of these states that have very strict um, abortion, abortion, uh, anti-abortion laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also um, the difficulty, whether it be with travel, um, and distance to get to to these services. Um, So being able to expand coverage for travel is important. Being able to expand the number of providers is important. And that's all something that we've been looking at. And I know that in the city of New York, the city council is looking at measures to also protect and expand access um, within the five boroughs. And currently, so in codifying Roe in New York in 2019, um, abortion care is is legal in New York uh, up to 24 weeks of pregnancy, I believe, and then beyond if the pregnant person's health or life is at risk or if a fetus is, is not viable, um, that, that, you know, some of those provisions were Um, you know, part of what mostly conservatives and Republicans, um, you know, have criticized. Do you have experience, um, again, as a nurse or or otherwise, um, about uh, so-called late-term abortion and and sort of the the context of of those procedures? Yeah. Late-term abortions are extremely rare, extremely rare. Um, Women and pregnant people who who carry a pregnancy for 20, 24 weeks are no are not going to decide all of a sudden, I no longer want to, you know, carry carry on with this pregnancy. That is not a realistic scenario. Um, and and it's one of the talking points that conservatives and Republicans have used. Um, but the reality is that the data has shown us and statistics have shown us that late term abortions are very, very rare. And they're only used in in um, extraordinary circumstances where the life of the mother or the life of the fetus, uh, I'm sorry, the life of the mother is at risk or if there are clinical conditions that don't provide for the continuation of a pregnancy. Um, And I gave an example of that. Um, It could be a a diagnosis um, that requires immediate action, um, 
perhaps the the um treatment may may cause irreversible damage to the fetus mm. um but if nothing's done would put the 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 life of the mother at risk um those are circumstances in which we see long-term abortions not not by the whim of a person who decides they no longer want to carry it and like you said that's not a legal option in the state of new york anyway you mentioned the equality amendment um this is something uh, that would uh, be a change to the new york state constitution um that would include a, a wide variety of protections um, and and preventions against discrimination of various kinds, including against pregnancy and pregnancy-related decisions. Um, How much urgency do you think there is in the legislature to pass a state constitutional amendment? Now, uh, folks should know, if that were to pass both houses of the legislature this session, which is only another month, although there could always be a special session later in the year, but if it were to pass this in the next month or any time this year, it would then also have to pass in the next session of the legislature after this year's elections, and then it could go to the ballot for voters. So the earliest that that could appear before voters would be November of 2023, um, but that's not that far away. Um, how much urgency do you think there is now in the legislature to pass something like this this year to then get the first passage uh, done before the next legislative class comes in next year? Yeah. You know, the last 36 hours have been a wake up call for um, many, many people, um, particularly the Democratic Party. Um, And it is an election year and there has been plenty of political conversations around what is and isn't feasible during an election year. How far can you go? You know, people are concerned about losing the House um, and have been moving very cautiously in terms of broad progressive legislation. Um, And I think this is a wake up call that we cannot and should not wait. Um, And I think that uh, folks are are invigorated and are are kind of like a fire has been lit under their ass about this. And I would hope that the electorate as well, um, because the biggest cancer on our democracy is apathy. Um, it's how we ended up with people like Trump, um, where people just feel like their vote doesn't matter and they don't come out to vote and absolutely elections matter. Um, so I think that there is a renewed appetite to really take this up. Um, And during the press conferences that we had recently, um, the leader of both houses, as well as the governor, have expressed um, their steadfast commitment to making sure that we do something in our state to protect um, a a woman's right to choose and and people's right to choose and 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 um, access to abortion. So. Uh, like you said, I, I hope that this is something that we that we move forward with this year and then we're going to have to vote on it again mm-hmm. next year. It's going to have to pass both houses and then it's going to go to the voters. Um, as you mentioned, there's been a, a good deal of renewed thinking and talking about measures to take. Um, so along with this constitutional amendment, which, again, has a bit of a timeline to it. Um, and uh, with possibly uh, creating and, and funding a uh, abortion access uh, fund, is there anything else that is either top of mind for you or your colleagues uh, under this sort of umbrella of reproductive health care that 
it seems to be in the offing in Albany, whether by executive action or legislative action? Do you, you know, is there, are there any other measures I should say? Um, I did want to mention, we, we have a rundown of this at Gotham Gazette in an article we published last night uh, on Tuesday, May 3rd, about recent measures that have passed and things that are, that are um, on the table in the state budget that you all just approved in Albany um, in, in April there was the passage of the Reproductive Equity Act, which requires insurance providers to cover all forms of abortion care, um, which was a a significant measure that passed. Anything else um, on either your mind or you know that sort of sort of at the uh, somewhere in the in the top of the thinking about actions that could possibly be taken on this front? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, uh, abortion access fund. I, I know that my colleagues have introduced something that would create a more permanent fund um, and uh, sexual education, mm-hmm. sex ed, I think is important as well. Um, and you did mention we added something into the budget that um, uh, that will put the ability for an insurance companies to cover abortions in statute rather than just uh, as a policy that that independent insurance carriers had. Um but I think a lot of this has it goes back to resources and making sure the state commits to resources to expand access. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm speaking here with Assemblymember Karinas Reyes, a registered nurse and a legislator representing the Bronx's 87th district in the New York State Assembly. Um, you mentioned it's it's an election year um, in New York, as you said, there are uh, very contentious. House races that will certainly impact the balance of power in the House of Representatives. Uh, everything happening with redistricting has has gone awry, and um, there's a lot of uncertainty around what the district maps will look like in those House races. They will all but certainly be less favorable to Democrats than the maps that um, Democrats uh drew and, and passed, but that have been uh, overturned by a, by a judge. And then there's also state Senate races. Now the Democrats in the state Senate are, there's virtually no chance of losing the majority there, but there's a super majority that could be chipped away at. Um, there's certainly some some swing districts, especially uh, in certain New York City suburbs that, that will be challenging for Democrats, it looks like this year. How do you think this issue of uh, reproductive rights will, you know, factor into this year's elections in New York. I should also mention there's a governor's race. And if there's any statewide race that Republicans could potentially win, you know, they they typically put all their resources towards the very top of the ticket. And that's been the stated goal of the New York Republican Party for several years now is to win this specific gubernatorial election, which would be the first statewide win for Republicans in 20 years. Um, so that that's another one where, uh, you know, the, the odds favor Democrats, certainly, but, um, you know, nothing can be uh, assured. And there's a lot of debate over um, the maps in certain districts. And then, of course, how different issues will will play out here. How do you see this issue um, factoring into these elections that you and your fellow legislators, as well as um, whoever winds up being in the gubernatorial race and the House races? How do you see this um, factoring into this year's elections? Yeah, I think this has given us an opportunity that we should definitely capitalize on to talk about the real bread and butter issues of the Democratic Party. Um, And one of which has always been um, uh, the pro-choice arm of the Democratic Party and how we believe in in people's right to choose. Um, Because I think for 
for Democrats, we were kind of playing um, defense on on issues of crime and public safety. Uh, and the reality is that the Republican Party was winning the narrative on that. Um, and this has given us an opportunity to really shift the conversation to things that I think are are more important because a lot of a lot of what's been happening in terms of the campaigns has been misinformation on steps that the Democratic majority in the state has taken. Um, and this gives us the opportunity to really talk about the huge wins that we had in 2019 when power shifted um, in in the state and how that is so important currently, given the state of the federal, of what's happening on, on in the federal landscape and why we need to continue to keep that majority and fight for that majority. Um, and we, I just hope that the Democratic Party is really able to, to take that narrative and run with it um, and capitalize on this moment. Quite obviously in the gubernatorial race in a number of these swing districts in the House or state Senate, um, a lot of a lot of uh, these elections, at least in New York, still hinge on the independent voter, uh, people who are not registered with Democrats or Republicans. Uh, very few districts in New York City where we do most we have most of our focus at Gotham Gazette and where you represent a district in the Bronx. that's so heavily Democratic uh, often doesn't you know factor into a lot of the discussion, although there's a few few districts, obviously, in New York City, where it does in southern Brooklyn and um, Staten Island. But um, it strikes me as as looking at the political landscape that this um, this is very sort of uh, dangerous for Republicans. And there's this discussion about whether this is, you know, the dog that caught the car, so to speak, that there's a lot of, you know, polling shows that abortion protections under Roe are very popular overall, including among independents, obviously much less popular among Republicans, more popular among Democrats. Um, in New York, you know, this could turn into uh, a major issue in this election. Um, I mean, you already spoke to this, but, it, you know, it seems to me that especially among those sort of and I don't know how much political sort of analysis you do from from your work in the Bronx about swing districts in the state or the governor's race. But it seems like this could be, uh, again, you know, a real disadvantage for Republicans and a real advantage for Democrats when it comes to independent voters. I agree. Definitely the pendulum swing and mm -hmm. and uh, something that is is maybe the key issue for independent voters, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I believe that this is this is our ticket to maintaining the majority. Um, and it's an issue that matters overall. Right. And it's important. Um, and. A lot of young people stay out of elections as well, they don't come out to vote. And I think this is also an opportunity to engage a new electorate, newly registered voters, young people who may not be paying attention to politics um, or or maybe a little uh, disappointed in, in politics and, and don't participate to really come out and and vote because it's, mm -hmm. it's very, very important this year. Um, in our last couple of minutes here uh, with Assemblymember Karinas Reyes, a registered nurse and a legislator representing the Bronx's 87th district in the state assembly. Thank you uh, here for the time. Um, just in our last couple of minutes, the, 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 these races for governor and lieutenant governor that are that are very um, 
that are still fluid, as we just saw a new lieutenant governor announced. Uh, Representative Antonio Delgado will be the next lieutenant governor of New York after Brian Benjamin's resignation. Um, that also relates to a swing house district where, that he has represented in the Hudson Valley and, and now looks even more likely for Republicans to potentially win, although the, there will be a competitive election, obviously. Um, but these these elections for lieutenant governor and governor um if I'm if correct me if I'm wrong, have you endorsed in either of those uh, primaries and, and do you plan to and, and anybody particularly that you're aligned with or or, or looking to support or, or your view on, um, you know, how you want Democrats to uh, to view the primaries for lieutenant governor and governor? Yeah, I haven't endorsed and uh, I haven't made up my mind on, on endorsing either. Um, I think that. Her choice of Antonio Delgado is um, a smart one. Um, however, uh, I think the process has been a little disappointing, right? Um, definitely what we did uh, last this week in terms of allowing allowing uh, a candidate to file for a declination uh, if they've been convicted of a crime um, or charged with a, a, a crime, I think is, in, is important. Um, it's unfortunate though of the timing uh, because I think uh, the it, it, it just looks bad for us. Um, and I recognize that. I also understand that there are two very qualified women who are vying for the position of lieutenant governor, who both happen to be Latina too, and we have no Latino statewide elected. And I think that's important as well. Um, and I represent a majority Latino district and, and they're looking to see leadership um, on a statewide level. Uh, and that's Diana Reyna, the uh, former city council member from Brooklyn, former Brooklyn uh, deputy borough president, and Anna Maria Archilla, who is a longtime activist and advocate who has who, who has been very active on the issue of, of reproductive rights and uh, and and also um, uh, made some of her her name uh, in the in Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme uh, Court confirmation hearing um, confronting Senator Jeff Flake at the time uh, in Washington. Uh, but those those are the two candidates you refer to. So so no decision there at this time from you. Uh, I didn't think you had endorsed that when I was looking around in preparation for this conversation, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, do you think on the issues that we're talking about that that Governor Hochul has been and will be the leader, you know, the a strong enough leader that New York needs and, and on any other issues you care about, your district cares about just in our final minute here? How do you assess sort of her tenure so far paying attention to uh, the topics at hand here in terms of reproductive rights and abortion care, but also the needs of your district? Um, you know, how are you sort of assessing her leadership thus far? Yeah, I think we were all very optimistic to have a woman uh, at the top of the ticket and to have a woman governor for the first time. Um, and that's not to say that the budgetary the budgetary process was not um, a big disappointment for me and, and the people I represent. Um, there were many aspects of the budget that did not speak or meet the needs of the constituent I, I represent, um, which is largely predominantly Latino, immigrant, black and brown. Um, and in many ways, um, what happened during the budget was um, very telling in how the governor may be moving forward in terms of policy. So 
one of the reasons why I haven't endorsed as well. And I'm going to sit back and, and watch to see how this goes. But I think in terms of women's rights issues, uh, the governor has been a good voice. Um, and of course, she has lived experience. And I think that's important as well in terms of, of policy and policymaking. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that, um, you know, things will continue to move forward and look and, up. And- Final, final question. Uh, any one thing, a priority for you, separate from anything we've talked about so far, that is a priority for you in these final weeks of state legislative session? If there's one thing that you, you know, that is that is plausible to get passed that you would get passed, um, is there one thing you would you would name for us in terms of the legislative session and your priorities? Yeah, one thing that I'm really working to move uh, this legislative session before it's over is the New York for All Act, which would kind of curtail um, ICE's reach in in the state and would make the whole state a sanctuary state. Currently, New York City is a sanctuary city, um, but those protections aren't afforded to undocumented people that live outside of the city of New York. Um, And uh, as we see that the rights of people are being attacked every day. Um, and and how New York has been an example of of a beacon of hope for women and pregnant people. I think uh, New York can also be a beacon of hope for our undocumented population, which we rely on heavily and our economy economy relies on heavily as well. We will leave it there. Assemblyman Mercurinas Reyes, a registered nurse. Uh, I'll keep repeating, especially uh, in terms of the content of this discussion, of course, relevant and, um, and a legislator representing the 87th Assembly District in the Bronx. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and analysis. Thank you for sharing your, your personal experience and, um, and be well. But thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Ben. 